0: Morning. He is risen. It's been a good morning, hasn't it? Great worship. Just really enjoyed that time. Good to hear from the kids. Good to watch them. Good to watch Scott's son in tempo with the stomps. Good to watch my son on the sidelines and a good morning. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a great day. This is the best day of the year. The day we are reminded that Your Son is victorious. The day we remember that no matter what we're going through, Whether we're high or whether we're low. Whether we're excited or whether we're depressed. Whether our marriages are strong or weak. Whether our finances are good or difficult. Father, no matter what we're going through right now, we know one thing, and that is on the last day, we who have believed in Christ will rise again forever to be with You. God, this is a great day. I pray that Your Spirit would take hold of our hearts on this glorious Easter day and would remind us of the great hope that we have in us. The hope of resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a child... Uh, we would spend uh, Easter afternoons at my aunt's house uh, almost every Easter afternoon. We would go to church in the morning and then in the afternoon it was off to Aunt Lillian's house for uh, for just a huge, huge family get-together. Aunt Lillian had a, 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 a decent-sized ranch property out in Sonoma County, California in the town of Sebastopol and uh, she had some horses out there and a few other animals and uh, you know, the adults, they'd go out there, of course, for the food and for the fellowship with one another. But us kids, we were there for one reason and one reason only. And that was the great Easter egg hunt. Now, it, it was a great hunt, let me tell you. I mean, we, we had a large property. I mean, the, the hunt covered the size of at least an acre. And the kids would wait inside the house, all the cousins and brothers and sisters. We'd wait inside the ranch home while the moms and dads and the grandmas and grandpas and the aunts and uncles went outside to hide all the eggs around the property. And when the time was ready and the cameras were rolling, all the kids, all, probably two dozen of us, maybe more, would run out, baskets in hand, looking for some Easter eggs. Now, there was, there was good news and there was bad news about this Easter egg hunt. And uh, I'm going to share the bad news first. The bad news was, because the property was so large, as we would go out looking for eggs, I mean, you know, my dad and my uncles, they were, they were tricky. They'd hide them in bushes, they'd, they'd hide them under piles of leaves, they'd hide them everywhere. And so the bad news was, even at the end of the egg hunt, I think it's pretty safe to say that not all the eggs were found. But the good news was, if we didn't find them that year, we would always find them the next year. And and that was just great. And and believe me, I know this because I have personal experience of this, as a matter of fact. I would actually come across a few eggs under the bushes that, you know, my arm wasn't quite far enough to reach when I was five. But when I was six, I could reach it, and the egg looked a little funny. It, It was a little faded, Uh, The plastic one. I didn't find the real eggs, thankfully. Uh, The plastic egg, it was a little faded, and it had a foul stench to it, if you know what I mean. Now, back when these eggs were first hidden, you know, they contained candy that was delicious and that was so good to the taste. The kids loved those eggs filled with chocolates and Skittles and all sorts of candies. But when the eggs had been hidden... For days and months and a full year, the contents of that plastic Easter egg became very spoiled and ruined. I've been reflecting a lot on Easter and uh, going back and forth about what to speak on. And the Lord has uh, really drawn my attention to something in the Easter story. He's drawn my attention to the people who were opposed to Jesus. The Bible calls these opponents the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees. Collectively, they were known as the Sanhedrin Council. And they didn't always agree on matters of doctrine and theology. But when it came to Jesus and the story of the resurrection, this group was intent on one thing and one thing only. To conceal and to hide the truth of the resurrection in hopes that they might spoil its power. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen behind you the point the, the, the focus of these opponents was to stifle and conceal the truth of the resurrection and to spoil its power to ruin its power and so that's the title of my message today is hiding easter hiding easter let's take a look at Matthew chapter 28 beginning in verse 1 notice what is said about the roman guards verse 1 now after the sabbath As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, the Roman guards, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. Jump to verse 9. And as the ladies, as they went out to tell the disciples that He had risen, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. And so they came and they held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell My brethren to go into Galilee and there they will see Me. Verse 11, Now while the women were going, behold, some of the Roman guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they, the the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, Tell them His disciples came at night. And stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So the soldiers, the guards, they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Imagine that for a moment. Put yourself into this story the Jewish religious leaders who helped put Jesus to death. Three days later, the guards that they had appointed, by the way, that they had asked for to be stationed at the tomb, those same guards came running to the Sanhedrin. They came running to the Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders. And they came running up to them to tell them, An angel of God has descended from heaven. He's rolled away the stone. Jesus' body is not there. And the angel has said to us and to the women who were there that He has risen from the dead. Clearly these soldiers knew what they saw. Matthew says they were paralyzed when they saw these things. They were like dead men. They saw the angel, they saw the stone, they saw the tomb empty, they were awestruck, they were dumbfounded, they were unable to fully comprehend the magnitude of the event they had just witnessed. They were were probably out of breath, they were scared, they didn't know what to do, and so they decided to run back to the very people who had called for them to be stationed at that tomb, the Jewish Sanhedrin. And what do these leaders do? What do they do? They hear this, they, they see the soldiers come. They hear two soldiers at least give eyewitness account of what they had seen. Do they cross examine them? Do they convene an investigation to establish the potential that this might be true? No, instead they pay them. They pay them off. They hear the testimony. They can see that they're flabbergasted, out of breath, confused, scared, and they pay them to shut up. And they reasoned among themselves, so long as we can hide this story, so long as we can conceal the story of the resurrection, perhaps we can spoil it forever. Perhaps we can ruin it. Interestingly enough, this was not the first time that this group had tried to stifle the truth of the resurrection. Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 in your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen behind you. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 32. John 11, verse 32. Lazarus had died, and, and Jesus is coming to the place where his friend had died. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are there. And, and in verse 32, Then then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw Him. She fell down at Jesus' feet saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, He groaned in the Spirit and was troubled. And He said, Where have You laid Him? Jump to verse 39. And and they show Him where He was laid. And Jesus says in verse 39, Verse 39, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of of Lazarus who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to Martha, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now notice verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, many of them believed in Him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? Jump to verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. Now imagine this story for a moment. Dozens, perhaps hundreds of Jews are mourning, they're crying, they're weeping and wailing with Mary and Martha because of their, of her, their brother Lazarus who was dead. And, and, and there's a proceeding taking place. I mean, there's a, there's a period of mourning. Days are going by where there's mourning in the community. And the people are crying out and wailing and weeping and and, and showing empathy and sympathy to Mary and to Martha. Hundreds of Jews were likely a part of this. And Jesus comes on the scene and raises Lazarus from the dead. Just like that. Just like that. And John says that upon seeing this miracle, many immediately believed in Jesus. Well, of course... Of course. If you saw Jesus raise someone from the dead, I mean, you would like to think that you'd look upon that event and go, wow, I should follow this man. I should pay heed to what this man says. I should pay attention to this man. I should believe in this man. That makes sense. But then there are others. Still others upon seeing Lazarus rise from the dead and come out of the tomb, others went to the Pharisees, to the chief priests, to tell them what had happened. Can you picture that meeting? (laughs) I I mean, picture that meeting for a minute. Here we go. Dozens of Jews in Bethany. Lazarus rises from the dead. They go, wow! Wow! Let's go tell the Pharisees. Hey guys, we, we want to talk to you. We, we, want to, we want to ask for an audience. Yes, yes, O oh, peons, what do you want? We just saw a man rise from the dead. Je- Jesus of Nazareth took Lazarus out of the grave, and, and he was dead for days and He commanded it, and the man stood up and walked out, and we all saw it. Mmm. You all saw it. All of you, every single one of you saw it. Every single one of us saw it. All of us. We all saw this with our own eyes, and what is more, we've seen Jesus do other things. He's healed the blind. He's healed the lame. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Is He the Messiah? Is He the Messiah? Hmm. We're going to convene a special business meeting about that. Really? Really? Think about this. Dozens of Jews... Confused, not knowing quite what is happening, coming to their pastors, essentially, and saying, we, we don't know what to do with this. Is he the Messiah? Or not? Is this Beelzebub? Or is this of God? And their pastors look at them and say, we're going gonna, gonna to call a meeting. going to figure this out. Of course, they knew where they were going with that meeting. John says they talked for a while, and then they plotted to kill Jesus. Never mind the fact that dozens of people saw this. Never mind the fact that dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands, have now witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle of Jesus of Nazareth. Reminds me of the words of of Jesus in Luke 16. If they don't hear Moses or the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I submit to you that they knew it was true. Yeah. I submit to you that both those who saw it and those in the Sanhedrin who heard eyewitness testimony They knew it was true. And they rejected it. Because they wanted power. Because they liked their position of influence. Because they felt threatened when another man was getting attention. When another man's teaching was being admired. They had a a figure of the Messiah and Jesus was not that figure. And they wanted another one. And so instead of embracing what they knew to be true, they decided to hide it. To conceal it. In hopes that they might spoil it. They knew it was true. And they plotted to hide it. They knew it was true. And that is why a chapter later, in John chapter 12, verse 10... Who else did they plot to kill? Lazarus. My father-in-law brought that to my attention not long ago. I had overlooked it myself. In John 12, verse 10, they plotted to kill Lazarus as well. Why? Why would they have to do that? Why kill Lazarus? He was an ordinary Jewish man. Because he was living proof of what they wanted to hide. Because everyone that saw this man knew he was dead and is now alive. They knew it was true. And they conspired to hide it. Seeking to spoil the treasure of the resurrection for countless others who trusted their power and their counsel. Friends, I want to say one thing very clearly today. Make no mistake The enemy wishes to hide Easter from you and from me. He wants to reseal the tomb. He wants you to forget about it. He wants you to ignore it. He wants you to be distracted by other things, by money, by lust, by selfishness. He wants you to be distracted by anything that takes your eyes off the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He's really good at hiding Easter. He's really good at it. When I was a child, when we failed to find the well-hidden Easter eggs, by the time they were found again the next year, the contents of those eggs were spoiled and ruined. So also, when we fail, when we fail to find the truth of the resurrection, something spoils. But guess what? It's not the resurrection that spoils. It's us. It's us who are spoiled when we fail to meditate upon Jesus' resurrection, when we let the enemy hide its power from our eyes, when we willfully choose to ignore the hope that it brings, it is us who become ruined. It is us who become spoiled. When we lose sight of eternity, when we lose sight of resurrection, our lives deteriorate. We begin to focus on ourselves. Wallow in pity. Selfishness abounds. And sin increases. And then comes ruin. Addiction, depression, violence, abuse. All from a failure to focus on resurrection. All from a failure to comprehend that if I am not living in light of eternity, I have nothing. The great reformed theologian Lorraine Botner once wrote, there's nothing, excuse me, he once quoted, I should I should clarify. There is nothing more conducive to immorality than a disbelief in immortality. I say again, there is nothing more conducive to immorality than a disbelief in immortality. Actually, we don't know the author of that quote. couldn't find it myself when I googled it. But that is so true. You know what that means? That means that when you're not thinking eternally, you will regress. When you're not thinking resurrection, you will go down. You will go deeper in sin. You will go deeper in pity. You will go deeper in depression. That's reality. That's why the Scriptures are filled, and I mean filled, with admonitions that says, raise up. Look up. If you've been raised with Christ, Paul says, lift up your eyes. If you've been seated in the heavenlies, then look up at the things that God would have for you. Are you stuck in sin? Are you wallowing in despair? May I suggest that it is almost exclusively primarily and essentially at the core, it is about a lack of focus on eternity, on resurrection. Now we can talk all the psychology we want. You can bring in every psychiatrist you want. You can bring in every counselor you want. And they have value. And there's a place for them. But I'll tell you at the end of the day, if you're not thinking eternally, I don't care what they tell you, you will not get better. You will go down. Because without God, and without resurrection, and without eternity, there is no hope. They've got nothing to say if they don't have a God view. That's why Paul begs us in Romans 12. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when our hearts... And when our minds are attuned to the power and the hope of the resurrection, everything changes. We go from one side to the other. We go from being sick to being well. We go from being poor to knowing that on the last day we will be rich. We go from hurting to knowing that we will one day rejoice. We go from being cheated to being restored we go from being abused to being made whole again. We go from being persecuted to being honored. We pass from death to life. One side is, is all that there is without eternity. All that there is without resurrection. No hope. But with resurrection, with the Lord, with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. Jesus and His resurrection is the only thing that can give us hope and peace and joy and comfort. His resurrection is the only thing that can give me focus. It reminds me that no matter how bad it gets on earth, I always, I always have something to hope in. Always. And that is why Job said, he said, for I know that my Redeemer lives and He shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, he's speaking of resurrection there, that in my bodily resurrected flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me for that day. Jesus is coming. He is is the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in Him, you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. And you will be raised up on the last day, whole and complete, perfectly fit for the Kingdom of God. To those of you out there today who don't know Jesus in faith, I tell you plainly, life will never get better without Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ And you will be saved. And and to you who are Christians, do you wish to have hope? Then fix your eyes on resurrection. Don't let Satan hide it from you. Fix your eyes on resurrection. Don't let the enemy spoil it and ruin it. The resurrection is not only what makes eternal life possible, but it makes this earthly life worth living. Let the glory of Easter morning shine brightly in your life and in your home, He is alive. He is risen. And we who believe in Him will be raised up on the last day. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for a focus on resurrection. We recognize that it is the primary objective of our enemy to hide resurrection to conceal it in hopes of spoiling it. God, we will not let that happen. And we ask Your Spirit to aid us, to assist us, to renew our minds so that no matter what we're going through today, we can have hope. God, I have no doubt. I know know as a matter of fact there are many who are hurting in this room. You know, Lord, that that I am hurting. You know my travails. You know our travails. God, it's easy to just give up. It's easy to just walk away. But Lord, we know where that road leads. It leads nowhere. And the only road that is satisfying. The only road that is strengthening is a road that leads to resurrection. A road that leads to being raised up on the last day, knowing that whatever we're dealing with now, it will pale in comparison to what You will give us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.